0: Welcome to the political beatdown with Ben Mycelis and Michael Cohen. I think we should just get right into it because, folks, as you know, the political beatdown is usually on live earlier in the days on Thursday, 9 Pacific. 12 Eastern, but a little something happened today on Thursday, February 16th, that we had to move political beatdown, and this is why the brigade loves political beatdown, because we're not just commentators. I mean, Cohen's the witness in the case that we're um, having conversations about now. Cohen's obviously limited in what he can discuss, but the reason that we had to move political beatdown today is because Michael Cohen had a meeting with the Manhattan District Attorney attorney's office. This was the 16th meeting. Cohen, of course, is limited in what he can discuss since he is a witness and of course has to abide by all of those things associated with it. But Michael Cohen, political beatdown, welcome. (laughs) What can you
1: tell us? Uh, So Ben, uh, 16. I mean, this was the 16th meeting that I had with the district attorney's team, I can't really emphasize enough the quality of the individuals that are there that are asking me the questions. Uh, They really are truly a spectacular team. They are as good, to be very honest, as the previous team uh, caught up to speed in a relatively short period of time, uh, even though that there was the lag uh, in between the last Uh, series when I was meeting with the Pomerantz team versus now the Bragg team, I do have to say that they are caught up. We are delving into, as far as questions that are being asked of me, we are so now deep into the minutiae that um, I can't really see much more uh, before which either they use me or they don't. And obviously, you'll all know if, in fact, it's the latter, which will obviously make people pretty upset, uh, myself included. But one of the things I will share with our brigade is that I am now going back again for the 17th time next week. The exact date can't release it at the moment, uh, mostly because I'm not 100% sure. It's one of two days. Uh, but I will be back again for the 17th time. And again, we are so now deep into the minutia that uh, I can't see anymore. You know, to use another metaphor, again, with the aviation and in transportation, I mean, we started at, what, 35,000 feet, like an aircraft traveling, and we are now uh, in landing mode and we are getting really close to the runway uh, for destination, hopefully zero. And that's really where we stand right now. It's quite exciting to be very honest with you because the questions that they ask are so on point and they are so damaging and injurious to individuals who should be and should have been held accountable that the fact that they may be held accountable really gives me hope in not just Um, our Justice Department, but also with this investigation.
0: And so when you're talking about it landing, when you extend that metaphor, it is landing in the place, in your mind, of accountability. Could we leave it at that? Yes,
1: I think that's definitely a great way to put it, Ben. Thank you for wordsmithing my uh, very, let's just call it, high-flying
0: metaphors. Well, using the high-flying metaphors and speaking at the level of generalizations that you can talk about, though, I want to remind our brigade viewers and our listeners of the process that's taken place with the 15th, with the 16th. You've just broke the news here that there's going to be a 17th. You also broke the news, although you couldn't get into it, the level of minutia gives you a great degree of confidence that this will be landing in a place of accountability. But if you can maybe talk us through at the high level, the 15th meeting, you were impressed with the group of people that you spoke to. You spoke very highly of the team there. Um, The question, there was a lot discussed there, um, but more kind of what general generalizations. And now here really getting into the minutia, getting into the details at a level of specificity that that's even impressed you today, where you're like, you know what, this is the A team that they've got. There's real accountability on the horizon. And I'm, I'm impressed. And I'm looking forward to the 17th meeting because this team knows what they're doing. Is is that a good summary as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, if I can just use a metaphor here, think of it as a book. When I first started meeting with Bragg's team, let's just say we were talking uh, generalizations about the book in its totality. And now, uh, let's just say by the 15th meeting that we were down to a specific chapter. Um, You know, let me rephrase that. Uh, That would be the 14th meeting. We were at a specific chapter. The 15th meeting, you know, we were down to uh, a specific page. Uh, You know, today, you know, we're down to a specific paragraph. And by the time we finish next uh, meeting, next week, we will be down to specific sentences. That's the best way for me to draw How close we are. I mean, the only thing that could possibly even beat that out would be to talk about specific words. But I think that that will be combined with the very next interview.
0: So that's big news, folks, that Michael Cohen has told us here exclusively first on the political beatdown. Obviously, well, these are
1: Ben, Ben, this is our political beatdown brigade. This is our family, and family has to know first. You know, I mean, that's just the way, you know, it was an interesting thing as I um, went in this morning uh, to meet again with the team at um, the DA's office. You know, a lot of the questions that are asked of me by media is, can you tell us what they're actually focusing on? What topics? Who are you meeting with? And again, these are all things that I've been asked not to discuss and for obviously very valid reasons, things that you would know as an attorney yourself. Um, One of the things that I was asked, and that was off camera, so you won't be able to see it, is um, do you think that they're going to call you as a witness? Do you think that you would make a good witness? Well, let me sort of address that because we do, of course, have a series of uh, naysayers and comments that people are constantly putting up, where they question my ability to be a witness. And again, I would certainly recommend these ignorant people to read. You know, reading is fundamental, right? Or in their case, reading is for mentals. The problem is that you don't know what you're talking about, and all you're doing is you're spitting and you're spewing your vitriol simply because you don't like me especially in the fact that I am providing information against your Fuhrer, against your king, your monarch, or whatever else you want to call the guy. And that's not going to deter me. And it's certainly not going to deter the district attorney's office for holding people accountable. Now, what kind of witness do you think that I'm going to make? Let me be very clear. There's no way in the world that the district attorney with the fine prosecutors that they have and the group of them. Um, would call me in now for what will be the 17th meeting if in fact they did not acknowledge my recollection based upon whether it's my own personal remembering, whether it's off of documents, whether it's off of um, other corroborating testimony. And so far, there is not a single statement that has been made other than the Southern District of New York that hates me, and rightfully so. They hate me because they're corrupt, and the entire process that they used against me. And again, if you read it, you'll read it in revenge. That way you'll know what you're talking about. There's no other group that has said that I mischaracterized, I lied, or that I did not provide truthful, accurate, and corroborated information to every single question that they asked that I knew the answer to. And so... Whether they these comments by the haters or uh, by others questioning what kind of a witness that I'm going to make, just wait and see. Because my hope is that after uh, I provide testimony, assuming that I'm called, uh, whether it be you know to a grand jury or whether it be at the time of trial, rest assured. My hope is that those documents are released um, unredacted so that people can see exactly the type of witness that I make and the specificity to the responses that I will be capable of providing.
0: And here's the thing, Cohen, right? when we're talking about minutia, we're also talking about documents, right? We're talking about a document trail. There's a reason why For example, in the New York attorney general, Letitia James special proceeding that Donald Trump was held in contempt of court, by the way, that the appellate division first district yesterday in a unanimous decision upheld. The reason Donald Trump was uh, held in contempt and why he doesn't want to turn over these records is because they're records <laughs> and prosecutors like records and they like documents. And so they're able to ask you questions, Cohen, but you also know where the proverbial bodies are buried. So when you tell them, this is what the documents should say, these are where the documents are, to my recollection, here's you know the import of that. They can trust, but you know the old adage, they can trust, and they can verify. And so, uh, is it far is it fair to say, and here I may be asking a bit much though, but as part of the minutia that the Manhattan District Attorney's drilling down to it, it it's document focused, it's document heavy and corroborating what you know with what the documents reflect and that's something that has impressed you their knowledge of the docs
1: yeah so let me again not talk about this specific case at all let me turn around and say that a good prosecutor for whether it's the district attorney's office whether it's state or federal what they do is exactly what you said they take the individual who will be the witness they test his memory and then of course they test the memory off of potential documents uh, emails, text messages, uh, regular documents or news clippings, whatever it might be, they use those documents not just to refresh somebody's memory, but they will use it in order to corroborate statements that are being made by that specific witness. And this is no different than any other prosecution. This is no different than any other uh case that the district attorney is looking at, it might be obviously a higher profile incident. It may be involving higher profile individuals, but the way that they establish a case, they establish it Uniformly across the board. And again, I do believe that all of the testimony that I have provided, that I knew answers to, are accurate, they're truthful, they're corroborated either by others' testimony, by emails, text messages, news clippings, uh, whatever it might be. And so, yes, when I turn around and I say something flattering about this team, they are very well versed uh, in the documents. And right now, they are uh, continuing to uh, establish the case that they will review in order to determine whether or not the case goes forward. And I'm feeling very confident, again, in what I believe will be their ultimate
0: decision. And look, the fact that you feel confident in that, I think, says a lot because not so long ago, you were not that confident before the 15th visit. I think you had a lot of questions. You had a lot of concerns that accountability was being missed by this Manhattan district attorney's office. So as you approach the 15th meeting now, breaking the news about as much as you can tell the brigade about the 16th. You also broke the news here that there will be a 17th meeting, that they are drilling down in the minutia that you are as impressed with this team as the prior team of Pomerantz and Dunn now. This is big news that everybody's hearing for the first time on political beatdown. That bodes well for accountability. You use the metaphor of the plane take off and landing in a destination of accountability, which is great. And for those just tuning in now live to the political beatdown, let's show the video of Michael Cohen entering his meeting with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office earlier in the day on Thursday, February 16th. Let's play this video right now.
1: 16, number 16, and rest assured, as we have continuously stated, the group that we're working with, the VA's team, are spectacular. They are well-versed, they are well-informed, and we just will continue to cooperate each and every time that they ask. Are you meeting with the grand
0: jury? do you expect
1: to meet with them? Um, I'm going to leave that up to you guys, you should actually ask the VA that, you going?
0: Cohen, yeah. Cohen. What's Cohen, very Cohen. funny
1: is the first question a, they always ask Are you going in for the grand jury today? You're going in for the grand jury today. Obviously, I can't discuss that. Um, you know, when that time comes, I promise, I promise each and every one of you, our family, the brigade, that you will know first. I am not under any gag orders by anyone. I am simply not stating things that. Are being asked of me by press and it is newsworthy it's just not helpful to the district attorney and so out of respect for these people who i do have respect for and respect for the process that's the reason why i'm not answering it but when that time comes and you know and if in fact i am called to testify before the grand jury you my brigaders will be the
0: first to know okay Cohen, I have, a, I have a personal question. When you spoke in front of Congress, I which think a lot time? of people just would you say which time? Which the, the, time? the public hearing where you were like more, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> it's become a meme. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so that one the the public hearing where all eyes were on you. When you go into something like that, just I, I want to get real for the brigade here. So a, a, a meeting like that, do you, Michael Cohen, the night before and while you're doing it, do, do you feel relieved that you get to tell your story? Do you feel nervous ever? What, do you feel like I finally get to tell? You look so confident. You look so relieved up there to be able to speak. But like other people who would be like, oh, my God, 100 million people are watching this at least. What's your process for that like, and how do you personally deal with it? I just, everyone has their process, but it's an interesting question that I think only you, you can answer being at the center of this. Yeah, so
1: an interesting story is when I was there uh, at the House Oversight Committee before, uh, God rest his soul, um, Congressman Elijah Cummings. Um, I mean, I write about this in, in the book, one of the things that happened, I'm sitting in my green room, and you know, I had uh, obviously a, um, a bunch of my lawyers that were there, uh, and we were just sitting and watching television uh, waiting for the sergeant at arms to let us know that we're five minutes out from me having to appear. And of course, you know, I had already peeked through the door and saw that the entire entire, uh, room was filled that there must have been a thousand cameras that were there on the floor waiting every time that you move or you know even if you just your know, every word it's the camera the shuttle lenses it's just like non-stop it's almost deafening so you have to be able to tune that out but i had a, a few of the members of congress actually stop in to say hello to shake my hand um, they were, of course, Democrats. None of the Republicans wanted to do anything maybe other than stab me. But a few of them came in. And um, after uh, one of the members of Congress came in and, you know, sat down with me and thanked me for my bravery, uh, I, of course, refer to it as my stupidity. Um, and let's also not forget that that was, I think, my fifth or my sixth time appearing before um, a committee for nine hours, which were eight and a half hours, whatever it was that they kept me. This one, of course, being televised, which makes it a little bit more nerve-wracking. All of a sudden, it kind of dawned on me how real that this really was. And I had an overwhelming sense of emotion that really was probably more of a panic attack than anything. And as I sat there, I had to hold in all of my emotion until uh, the member left. And I asked if I can just have a few moments. And when the member of Congress left and I was by myself in the room, I put my head down onto the desk, onto the table that was there. And there was nothing but crocodile tears rolling out of my eyes. And I can't even explain the emotion that um, I was feeling at the time. It was elation that I was going to get to tell my story, to tell the truth to the American people with also the dread of having to tell the story yet again and the extent of the press coverage and the fact that the room was standing room, literally standing room only, um, it was such a pool of emotion that I truly didn't even know what to do. And it um, it was overwhelming. And then my bigger concern, after a minute or two of just these crocodile tears pouring out of my eyes, I was afraid that my face was going to be all red and my eyes would look swollen, in the cameras, which were literally right up into your face, uh, so I went across the hall into the bathroom and I splashed some cold water. I was actually thankful that my eyes weren't red um, and that uh, I didn't look like Don Jr. on an eight ball with his TikToks or his <laughs> uh, or his you know his Twitter. Account, I mean, going ballista where you can't even see the eyes. I was thankful that <laughs> I didn't, um, that my eyes weren't red, and my face wasn't all swollen and puffy. And then all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there and I'm drying my face, the sergeant at arms came in and he says, Mr. Cohen, three minutes. And I was like, whoa, boy, you better get a hold of your shit, pal, because uh, you're going out there and you're starting off reading a 15-minute speech that I prepared and took me several days to write it, Um, you're going to go out there and you're basically calling your former boss, you're calling the man who's the president of the United States, who at the time was in Vietnam, uh, interestingly enough, with Kim Jong-un, you're calling him a con man, a cheat, a racist, a Misogynist, sexist, uh, xenophobe, homophobe, Islamophobe, anti Semite, you know, all in one breath. And I knew exactly what the Republicans were going to do. You may recall my statement when I had said it. I think it was either to Jim Jordan or Mark Meadows. I know what you're doing. I know the play that you're playing because, in fact, I wrote the playbook. And so for you to think that you're going to run my playbook on me, it's not going to work. And look at what's happening to me. I was forced to plead guilty. Look at what's happened to each and every one of these people. Look at what happened. Mark Meadows, for example, he's disappeared. You know, for all you know, he's actually a cooperating witness. So you know, there's so much that's going on right now. Uh, it's a it's a great question, by the way, Ben. It's something nobody has ever really asked me. But you know, when it's it's an emotion that you can't explain almost like the emotion that you feel when you just become a father or a parent and you watch the birth of your child. It's like this overwhelming emotion that you really just don't know how to respond to. And so I took a couple of real deep breaths and um, decided that I need to put my head down and I need to charge forward and I need to help the country. I need to protect the country from what I know Donald was really looking to do. And that's to turn our real, you know, our democracy into an autocracy.
0: You know, I wanted to ask you that because I I was as I saw you approaching the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And I just think about our conversations that we have with the brigade, that these are real historic events that are taking place. And like literally after that historic event today of you walking into the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, here we are talking about it. And one of the reasons that publicly to, to people, you know, who get to share this and What's so interesting about it and why you really wanted to do the show and why I wanted to do this show is that you and I would often have these conversations privately, right? We'd have the conversations late at night or just during the afternoon when I was walking to Starbucks or you got out and how we built our, you know, our really strong friendship together was just over talking about it. Like, you know what? Let's let people see these conversations because that's the kind of question I would ask you. And I think a lot of that sometimes when you don't have a format like that, right, it gets it gets shrouded in a bit of secrecy, and so you know I've had the fortune with a lot of people who I've been able to work with, like Colin Kaepernick and 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 others, you know, to have these, you know, just to to see the people behind the. all all of what the press says and what people say and the narratives that are ultimately created. So for you to share that and and open up with the brigade, I think is is awesome. The one thing the brigade wants me to correct though, and and I will, is the use of crocodile tears. Let me give you the adage of crocodile tears. The expression comes from an ancient anecdote that crocodiles weep for the victims they are eating. A collection of proverbs attributed to Plutarch suggested that the phrase crocodile tears was well known in antiquity, comparing the crocodile's behavior to people who desire or cause the death of someone, but then publicly lament for them. The story is given a Christian gloss in the bibliotheca <laughs> by early medieval theologian Photius. Photius uses, so people didn't know I was going to go that deep, but they wanted me, uh, they wanted me to go in that. Cohen, your reaction.
1: Yeah, I apologize then if I used a, colloquial, a colloquialism <laughs> that is inaccurate. Um, let me just say that they the tears were quite large, uh, and you know, rightfully so. People don't understand the pressure that this puts, you know, on an individual sitting before you know Congress, not once, not twice eight different times. And each time they hold you there for, you know, nine hours. It's it's not easy. And then of course, you know, starting with the very raid, the, um, the PTSD that this creates onto you, the despair, the anguish, the pain. And the pain is not just to me individually, it's to my family and to those people who know me and know me as the family man that I am. It kills me it breaks my heart the fact that i put my family through so much for what for that fucking animal really for the most disloyal human being that exists for a man that legitimately wants to destroy democracy that all he cares about is being richer than Putin and the way he of course would do that is to be the dictator or the autocrat over our country so therefore you need to destroy democracy no i mean look you know people say to me you know well then why did you stay why did you work with him uh, and so on i want people to understand that when i worked for him starting in 2007 all the way through 2017 when he became president um, It's not the same person. Yay, he was always an asshole. I grant you that. He was. But when they say, oh, but you did all of his dirty work, you did his bidding, what did I do? I sued people? Okay, guess what? I was a lawyer. Some of those lawsuits probably, um, let's just say, a little hyperinflated. Absolutely. Right? No problem. I totally agree. Should I have done it? Well, if I didn't, everybody, everybody who is in real estate or who are developers they have the same scenario where you fight with contractors and so on just anybody who's done any refurbishment to their home realizes that these sort of things pop up all the time Um, nothing that donald did at that point in time was significant to our country or to the world it was really when he became president and we look at Examples like Helsinki, Charlottesville, his refusal to denounce white supremacy, David Duke, etc. cetera. Um, this is where really enough became enough. And ultimately, you know, with the raid on my home, my hotel, uh, my law office, for what? For Stormy Daniels, for an affair that he had had before I even started working for him? seriously that that should be what causes my entire life to be turned upside down a life that i truly enjoyed and again if you read disloyal which was my first book you'll understand i didn't go to work for donald because i needed the money like all of these Fucking haters want to turn around and say, oh, he paid you. He supported your family. No, it's not true at all. And I mean, other than Donald, I was the richest guy in the office. I did very well early on. Lucky. It was pure luck. I got into an industry, and I did incredibly well. And at the end of the day, I only ended up working for Donald because he asked me to. Instead, I was working on doing something for him, which, again, I talk about in both my books, uh, including the new one, Revenge. I went to, I was doing some legal work for him. And instead of him deciding to pay me, he took me away from a major, major law firm to come to work for him. And you know what? At the time, between the apprentice, between, of course, the art of the deal, between, you know, a whole series of other fun things that were going in this universe, it seemed like it would be a fun job. And again, it was supposed to be all about me as well having fun. But at the end of the day, it turned out not to be so fun, and worse than that, it upended my entire life. And at the same time, it hurt my family, which is something—it's a guilt that I live with on a regular basis. You know, on my upcoming podcast on Maya Culpa, I have um, the father of um, a young girl, Jamie, who was killed at Parkland, and he himself has become uh, a you know, an activist uh, against gun control and so on. And that's what happens when, you know, you. that's what happens when you have tragedy that befalls you. I don't ever want to see anyone, anyone in the United States ever go through what I went through. I don't ever want to see another person becoming president of the United States whose sole goal is to destroy democracy so that they themselves can become the autocrat, the monarch, the dictator, the supreme leader. I never want to see that happen. And I will keep fighting, despite it's it's killing me. And and I really mean that truthfully, health wise, it's killing me. But I will keep fighting till my last breath to ensure that this man never, forget about never sees you know what the White House again, that he's not even allowed in Washington ever again. And I will keep fighting for all of us, and that's why it's so important that we keep spreading the message of political beatdown, of Midas touch, of mea culpa. It's important that people read, you know, for example, revenge, so that you understand what somebody as narcissistic and sociopathic as Donald is, what happens when you have somebody who's like that, wanting to become President of the United States and the dangers that he poses. So I will keep
0: fighting if you will keep joining me. This episode is about accountability, right? And we can compare and we can contrast, uh, more likely contrast, what you did today with what former Vice President Mike Pence is doing. So Pence is saying, we talked about this when the news broke that he was going to fight the subpoena that he received from special counsel Jack Smith. Well, you know, Pence has been going on a kind of tour of humiliation, if you will, and disgrace right now, um, trying to justify his decision, why he is not going to cooperate, and even just voluntarily try to help bring accountability. Help bring justice. I mean, Cohen, you're, you're not being subpoenaed to show up right now. Arguably, you could not be cooperative, but you're being cooperative because you want the truth to show up, to, to go out there. And Pence, to me, the very fact that, okay, he didn't violate the law on January 6th and overthrow our democracy. I mean, really, that's the threshold for giving somebody credit. Right now, that you didn't break the, you didn't commit seditious conspiracy. Oh, how brave are you that you didn't commit seditious conspiracy? Doug well, so again, this- don't we
1: also have the same nonsense with Bill Barr? Do you remember? I mean, Bill Barr sitting there with that fucking triple of his, you know, laughing oh, I told Donald that you lost the election, right? You know, get past it, get over it. All of a sudden he thinks he should be invited back into polite society. He thinks that he's done anything in order to protect democracy when this is the guy who actually violated law. This is the guy who acted in the same seditious conspiratorial ways that Donald did for his own benefit And for the, at the direction and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump, I mean, he does not get a pass. And the fact that this guy refuses to testify, that he refuses, you know, to provide information or testimony about conversations that occurred, whether it was January 6th or all the way before that, whether it was literally going back to the unconstitutional remand of me back to Otisville because of my first, my wanting to, you know, um, put out my first book. uh, And that, of course, didn't sit well with, you know, dear old Donald. I mean, to unconstitutionally remand me, to make me into the first political prisoner held by my own country. I'm shocked that Trump, and I bet he wanted to, I bet Donald probably even wanted to have me shipped off to Guantanamo, but American citizens are not allowed to be held in Guantanamo. So putting all that aside, Bill Barr, Mike Pence, you know, all of these guys that refuse to testify, that refuse to appear based upon subpoenas uh, and the subpoena power of Congress, the fact that they didn't do it, it's, it's inexcusable. That's all that I can say. And they should not be welcomed back into polite society. And they should not be welcomed back uh, as citizens of this country, unless, of course, they're with their MAGA friends.
0: Here's the video of Mike Pence from earlier in the day talking about uh, his decision not to participate, um, even voluntarily. So he was asked by the reporter. So, okay, you claim that there's these separation of powers concerns about you responding to the subpoena. But why you've released books about this? You've talked about this publicly. Why not just do it under oath if you care about the country here? Let's play this video. If your legal challenge holds up, you'd still have the opportunity to voluntarily go and testify to the Department of Justice. And when we're talking about serious allegations of potential, uh, an effort to defraud the U.S. government and overturn a presidential election, why is your testimony uh, not compelling to the Department of Justice, but also to this country's justice system?
2: Well, I think, I think uh, the issue here is whether or not a vice president who served as president of the Senate should be subject to a subpoena to appear in court. But would you voluntarily? The Justice Department has insisted. The Justice Department has insisted on that and on reserving that right in the event this were a matter that would go to trial. And uh, we just simply made it clear to them we think it is not only unprecedented, but it's unconstitutional. And so we'll. Uh, um, would you be open to volunteering? But I will tell you, look, I've, as I've said, I've written extensively about this. I've spoken extensively. Um, it's different the than the Justice going under those. Well, no, the Justice Department has uh, uh, been involved in an extensive fact-finding effort, and um, uh, in in my judgment, um, this principle of separation of powers is that important. If if we were to exceed to accept a subpoena for appearance before a grand jury or in trial. I believe that would diminish the privileges enjoyed by any future vice president, be that Democrat or Republican. And I, I simply will not do that. Uh, the Constitution is a, it's its the foundation and the bedrock of not just our government, but in so many ways. It's, it's a, it is the foundation of the republic. And, and in every sense, I think we've got to, as I did on January 6th, I stood on principle, disappointing many people on the right. Uh, I, I will stand on this principle of the separation of powers enshrined in the Constitution itself. But I, I do continue to say what what I don't understand is why a position the Department of Justice took in two different cases in the last two years is no longer valid. And it does smack of the kind of two-tiered. First off,
0: it was the Trump Department of Justice in 2019 who took that position, number one. So let's 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 state that Uh, second, the constitutional principle that's never been tested before that a former vice president should be able to make the claim that he is actually a senator or a house of or a member of congress so that they could claim the privileges of the speech and debate clause under article 1 section 6 clause 1 and compare that to article 1 section 3 clause 4 how about the fact that you worked for someone who tried to overthrow our democracy you know when they talk about oh this is such an unprecedented thing that they would ask me to speak and what i really need to uphold here is the This is the constitutional principles of the separation of powers, because if we just didn't abide by this separation of powers, then where where would we be as a nation? F you, F you, you traitor piece of crap. I mean, there's no other way to say it, you weak, spineless piece of crap. What
1: What makes him worse and weak and spineless is the fact that he ignores the, the gallow that was built in front of the Capitol on January 6th for the sole purpose of hang Mike Pence. I mean, the notion that you would allow this sort of bullshit to continue, that you would have so little respect for the Constitution, for democracy, for the country that you swore to serve and protect They built a gallo, you dumb asshole, in front of the Capitol to hang your pasty white ass. Get the fuck over it. And the fact that you're now going to claim that you're president of the Senate you're the vice president. That's the executive branch. And this clause does not cover the executive branch. And that's the issue that we are looking at, not whether or not you're the president of the Senate. That's only in the event of a tie, a 50-50, do you have a deciding vote. You are the vice president, you dumb fuck. All right? You're the vice president in pursuit to the executive um, as part of the executive branch. This is not part of You know, the protections that you have. So look, I think he loses on that argument. But then again, he'll come in and he could take the Fifth, even though, like Jeffrey Berman from the Southern District of New York, they put out books on things that they probably shouldn't have on improper and illegal things that they've done. And now, of course, they're going to try to hide behind the Fifth Amendment saying, well, I can't say it here under oath, but I can do it for a for-profit book. Yeah, I'm with you on that and saying, hey, Mike, you get
0: the double finger. Well, you, you, you see, Michael Cohen, let me explain something to you. So first and foremost, I am a Christian. And second off, I'm a conservative. Okay, And third, I'm a Republican. Okay? So if a Republican <laughs> says that they want to behead me on public TV, they may want to behead me if they say that. I consult my faith, I consult my conservative values, and I hand him the knife. And I say, Sir, if you are a Republican, have my head, as any good Christian would. And 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 take the heads of my family. Here. Basically, that's what he said. Let Let me me say this to you, Mike. Okay. (laughs) Quite frankly, you're a
1: traitor. All right you're not good all right you never were any good they probably should have hung you but you know they i told the people that maybe they should maybe they shouldn't i'm not sure okay um you know but all you needed to do was to work with me and we'd still be there we'd still be friends uh there'd still be a love affair and i mean honestly these two assholes can you imagine the fact that both of them are now thinking that they should be president of the United States again in 20 right in 2024. I mean what I find comical is the fact that Mike Pence thinks for a split second that he is going to obtain more than two percent of the vote. I mean the guy is universally disregarded (laughs) by his entire party. He is what is known as an irrelevant piece of shit. Um, I mean You already lost the 28% of the crazy magas. That's for sure. Now you have Nikki Haley, you have a whole slew of people that are going to be jumping in. If Mike Pence gets more than 2% of the, you know, of the, of the vote during any of these, um, you know, primaries, I would be more than shocked. And what I'd really be shocked about is anybody that actually sends him any money because everybody universally knows that he has absolutely no shot at all.
0: Yeah, this MAGA f- strand of fascism really also combines that QAnonism and that weirdness and that incompetent like it, it fuses all of these together. Right. But for those criticizing my impression of Pence right there, I'll show you the clip
3: where he's where he answers the question. Here, Salty, pull up the clip. I'm about the 2022 election, and I think that your analysis uh is one that is is generally accurate that the candidates who were hung up on the election lies of 2020, uh, of 2020 um, did not fare as well in 2022 as the ones who stepped forward and, and, and talked about the future. Mm-hmm. I was, and I know you know better than anyone in a, in a bad way what those election lies can mean in terms of crowds being incited. Mm. I was surprised to see you campaigning for mm. Don Baldick in New Hampshire and Blake Masters in Arizona, who were two people who lied about the election, who defeated, one could say, one could argue, better candidates in the Republican primaries, uh, who were future-leaning candidates. Um, why Why did you endorse them? Why did you support them? Why did you campaign for them?
2: Well, you know, I've often said I'm a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. But I'm a Republican. And once Republican primary voters had chosen their nominees, I went out and traveled to 35 states over the last year and a half to see if we could elect a Republican majority in the House and Senate, elect Republican governors all across the country. It didn't mean, as it hasn't meant in the past, that I agree with every statement or every position candidates that I'm supporting in the Republican Party have taken. Um, but, uh, but I was pleased to do it. And uh, You know, just I was pleased to do it. You could uh, kill me, kill my family,
0: kill my community. Do things that Republicans don't even do. <laughs> just call yourself, just call yourself a Republican. <laughs> call yourself it, and and just do whatever the fuck you want to do. Because I'm Mike Pence. That's 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 what I feel. I mean, it it, it is it is absurd. Cohen, did you know is going to get this weak? You know, the the thing about it though, because <sighs> Donald Trump is, you know, you go back to that Lindsey Graham quote. Like the moment we elect Donald Trump, it's going to be the destruction of the party. A- a- and and you go and you you look at it it's so weird too. Like it's fascist. It's disgusting. We need to take it very, very seriously and understand the threat. But I think it is healthy as part of our political discourse to not gaslight ourselves. And we need to be like, yo, that is some weird shit right there. Like we just need to say it, you know, and we can't be like, oh, that's, someone talk what the hell was it that we just watched and very frequently when i watch these MAGA republicans just talk i'm like you know this is some really weird shit. this is some strangeness yeah it was, it was was
1: it was the entire group of them that were just strange and weird from steve bannon with his four shirts and two jackets uh all the way to steve miller with the you know dissolving hair spray-on hair that he had on his head to the Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, um, you know, hair dye, you know, shoe polish that was floating down his head at the Four Seasons, uh, what was it, uh, funeral parlor or uh, the Four Seasons landscaping, right? You know, I do have to say, though, uh, as far as imitations goes, you know, I think you have the right uh, you have the right wordage. It's just, um, it's missing. It was almost like a combination of a bad Mike Pence along with, um, you know, with Bernie Sanders, to be very honest with you. Because I have to be very honest with you, Ben. Things are not as they expect to be. And oh, I really no. do believe that Donald Trump is a fucking <laughs> asshole. And here in, you know, here we have, we really have to turn around and we have to put
0: an end to all of this stupidity. And this tick tock gold right here. I'm, is,
1: sure
2: I'm sure
0: gold it is.
2: I'm sure it
0: is. All right. So let's get to our final story, though, which is the breaking news also of this morning. That's why I love doing this live. And this is that. Uh, Fulton County uh, Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney has released those three portions of the report that he stated earlier in the week that he was going to release, the introduction, the conclusion, um, as well as Section 8. Section 8 recommends perjury charges against individuals who the special grand jury investigating election interference um, believes were lying in their testimony. However, that section doesn't actually state the names of those individuals and neither does the introduction and conclusion. Ultimately, the same way it was critical that we talked about at the outset not to jeopardize in any way the criminal investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. That's why you couldn't really discuss more than what you provided here, but you still provided enough information that I thought was very, very helpful while also balancing those other considerations. That same exercise, the public. public interest balancing against those other considerations is an exercise that Judge Robert McBurney had to do since Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis stated that there are indictments that are imminent, including indictments against individuals who have not appeared before the special grand jury intent, who are individuals who have not appeared before the special grand jury in Fulton County who may be indicted. To me, that only points to a small handful of individuals and given that Trump is the target of the criminal investigation for election interference, seems like that's who it could possibly be. One of the other things and the findings that was reached, though, by the uh, special grand jury is that there was no fraud to overturn the results of the 2020 election. I thought that was a significant finding that was published, but I think that was still big news nonetheless. Donald Trump has responded on his social media platform just now as we were going live, and I think we have some of these posts that Trump just made. This is what he wrote, Trump writes, The long awaited important sections of the Georgia report, which do not even mention President Trump's name, have nothing to do with the president because President Trump did absolutely nothing wrong. Cohen, before my dogs continue barking, what's your immediate reaction to this? Well, of
1: course he's gonna say that. He's he's gonna continue to say anything that exonerates him. And the funny thing is, the only person that ever exonerates Donald from something is Donald. And you have to love when he talks about himself in third person, right? First and foremost, Donald, I don't know how many more times I can tell you just because you fooled the old billionaire class at Mar-a-Lardo to keep calling you Mr. President, you, sir, are not the president of the United States. You are the former president. You are the twice impeached former president, right? Seditionist. Why you keep calling yourself president, I don't know. But the fact that the the fact that this document, you know, it's, I haven't had a chance to read it. I literally, as you can see from my sport jacket and my shirt, I literally just came from the DA. The first thing I did is I got, I grabbed myself a glass of water and I jumped on with our brigaders uh, so that I could provide you first with the information that we're providing today. So I didn't have a chance to read it, but is there an exoneration of Donald? No. Um, You know, is, you know, is there still a potential and is there a potential indictment forthcoming from the district attorney of Georgia, Fannie Willis? The answer is yes. Um, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump, you know, is Donald Trump, you know, out of the woods on that? By the way, even assuming that he was, which I don't say that he is, but even assuming that he was, there's so many more outstanding matters that are illegal in nature and that are in the process of being investigated and put forth, that it's like um, throwing spaghetti against the wall and, okay, one piece fell. That's okay. You still have a whole wall full of spaghetti, right? I mean, that's true. And this does absolutely nothing to exonerate him. Again, the only person that is exonerating Donald in this seems to be Donald.
0: I couldn't agree more. My dogs got really angry when I was reading. That uh, post by Donald Trump, Taquito and Chaquito, the Maltese and the Toy Poodle hate Donald Trump. They hate when I read his truth social posts. But let's put it back up now that the dogs have they've taken a time out. So let me go finish reading it. The long-awaited important sections of the Georgia report, which do not even mention President Trump's name, have nothing to do with the president because President Trump did absolutely nothing wrong. The president participated in two perfect phone calls regarding election integrity in Georgia, which he is entitled to do. In fact, as president, it was President Trump's constitutional duty to ensure election safety, security, and integrity, dot, dot, dot. It goes on to say, between the two calls, there were many officials and attorneys on the line, including the Secretary of State of Georgia. No one objected, even slightly protested or hung up. President Trump will always keep fighting for true and honest elections in America. Yeah, there's so much wrong with that statement. Number one, as you pointed out, you're not the freaking president anymore, you freaking traitor. Um, Number two, the portions of the report that are being it's one of the things, though, that when you're phony, Willis, when you're a prosecutor, you know, and you you are protecting the due process rights of somebody baiting you to try to violate the due process rights, so then Trump can use it as a way out of his conviction eventually, right? So Trump knows and everybody knows that the reason that in these sections, his names aren't in it, it's an eight-page report, literally the only sections were the introduction, the conclusion, and like three sentences in section eight, which talks about perjury, but doesn't list the names of individuals, If you read Judge Robert McBurney's order from earlier in the week, it specifically doesn't include Trump's name and it doesn't say Trump per se, but it doesn't include the names of people who didn't appear before the special grand jury to protect their due process rights. So in protecting their due process rights, then Trump goes on his social media platform to gaslight and goes, see, it doesn't mention my name. Yeah, it doesn't mention your name because you're the target of the criminal investigation, you dummy. But what he wants to do is bait. He wants to bait Phony Willis. Say no, no. That you know you are in it, and then go. Oh my my! I'm the victim now. My rights have been violated. The deep states got me. Oh wow wow wow. So that's what's going on there. And then you know, look, uh, his statements there. It's the perfect phone call. Nobody hung up. Like that's the standard you were a former president. The fact that you were just goes to show you in his sick mind that the way you would object to him extorting you, a former president extorting a secretary of state, the way you would object to that is go, listen, you mother effer, boom, and hang up the phone. And that's what would make it not a perfect call. Actually, if you listen to the call uh, where Trump says, find me the votes, or else really bad things are going to happen to you, Brad, really bad things are going to happen to you. Extorting the Secretary of State, the Secretary of State is objecting, is saying, we can't do that. That's not a valid thing that you're asking for. Um, This was a free and fair election. You're not getting accurate information. But to Trump and his cult followers, right, that doesn't matter at all. The truth doesn't matter at all. But the truth matters here, on the political beatdown. It matters with the brigade. To all the brigaders watching this live on YouTube, Cohen and I ask you this small favor right now. One, subscribe to this YouTube channel, but two, subscribe to the political beatdown on audio right when this show ends. Search political beatdown wherever you get your podcasts and download it and subscribe to Political Beatdown and play the episode on audio. We have a great YouTube following here and we love all our YouTube Brigaders. We also wanna encourage audio listeners as well because we simulcast this. Um, We've been very high in the rankings on the audio. We wanna keep it that way. So please subscribe and everybody who's here, if you've got two minutes. We see you in the chat rooms. Leave that five-star review and any positive review you want on the political beatdown audio podcast. Cohen, final words before we leave today. And more
1: importantly, please, like I constantly say week after week since we started this, and I say it on my Mea Culpa podcast, so please listen to that. By the way, Lev Parnas is going to be on it uh, coming up soon as well. But one of the things I ask you to do is share this. Um, knowledge, share a political beatdown with your friends. Let them join too, because one of the things that makes us stronger is by number. I know it sounds funny, but it's true. The bigger you are, the more powerful we become, and the more influence that we will be able to have over this unjust system and this corrupt Republican party. So please, you know, follow, um, you know, obviously, political beatdown is. Ben was just saying, you know, follow it on audio. You got uh, the Midas Touch Network. Make sure you subscribe to them. Maya Culpa, please, you know, listen to listen to that one as well. And I keep asking, I keep asking everybody, and I keep bringing up the book Revenge. And I, and I just I want to be very clear about something. The reason why revenge is so important, so many people in the comments and, you know, as they flick by, I see some of them like, you know, did Michael Cohen repent for his sins? If you read the book, sir, then you would understand what sins are you talking about? What, that I, that I did a non-disclosure agreement with Stormy Daniels, that I looked over an agreement between the National Enquirer and uh, Karen McDougal, that we sued contractors and certain individuals? That's my sins. I promise you, let me look through your cell phone. Let me take it and go through all the stuff. I promise you, you probably have a whole lot more sins in your cell phone than I did. I mean, it's... It's so sad that people have the they they think they have the right to just spew whatever misinformation, disinformation, malinformation that they want and simply because it gives them some sort of an emotional rise out of it that's why Ben and I started this political beatdown together because here on political beatdown our brigaders get nothing but the raw unfiltered truth, no bullshit, no innuendo, no, oh, well, I think. There's no I thinks here. What we are telling you is fact. There is no opinion here. This is all factual. And through facts and through your assistance and through the people that you will help to bring to the brigade, we will become more and more powerful each and every week. And we will ensure that all of our collective voices
0: are heard in order to protect democracy and to protect our rights. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Political Beatdown. We gave you those breaking news exclusive from Cohen earlier in the show. So if you joined in late, check out what Cohen had to say about his 16th appearance before the Manhattan District Attorney. And Cohen gave the breaking news that he would be showing up for the 17th appearance sometime next week. Go rewind, watch it again, or listen to it again if you missed that part earlier. Thank you, Michael Cohen. have so much fun doing this with you. I think the impressions that we do should be a staple of the yeah. show. Well, Any I've, got, I've got plenty more. I've got plenty more
1: where those came from. You
0: know, I'm Ben Marcellus, joined by Michael Cohen. This is the political beatdown. Shout out to the Mightiest Mighty.